Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 150 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we will be speaking with Sarah Abraham, Polly and the Law. Here's your hosts, Woody and Lee. Hi, I'm Woody. And I'm Lee. We have a special guest with us today uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, the lovely Sarah Avraham. Hi, Sarah. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, how are you? How are you, Lee? I'm great. How are you doing tonight, Sarah? I am doing just marvelous. Awesome. One thing I want to mention about Sarah, she is an attorney in the state of Georgia. I am. And so uh, I would like you to say what you say about that. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Sarah Alverham. I am an attorney licensed to practice in the state of Georgia. And you may find that I'm rattling this off rather quickly. That's because I do a radio show once a week where I have to do the same thing over and over again. And, of course, the lady and gentlemen who are here with me tonight, um, they're wonderful and prolific podcast hosts. But none of us here are acting in the stead of being an attorney, although I do practice law. We're just here to speak about uh, different poly relationships and the law and how it could affect your life. Um, and I'm not here, to, again, I'm not here to act as an attorney nor give legal advice. So if you hear anything on here that interests you, feel free to call me or another competent attorney in your jurisdiction regarding the specific facts and issues in your case if uh, you happen to have one. The topic tonight is poly and the law. How do we live within a lot of the blue laws that are across the country here in the U.S.? And then out of the U.S., there's other countries have some restrictions on how we get to love each other. So let's start locally and uh, see how that all adds up. I do this presentation quite a bit, and just like I do my uh, my other presentation that uh, we were talking about. And uh, there's a lot of legal dangers that are inherent to living the poly lifestyle. And uh, the simple truth is, is that legal issues abound when it comes to participating in the lifestyle. And it can affect several different areas in your life, including family law, criminal law, civil law, many contracts, estate planning, health care, and even business law. And so it depends on what your particular situation is as far as what legal forces can come after you. Um, whenever I do this presentation, I do a lot of question and answer, and I, <laughs> you would really be surprised at all of the different aspects of law that comes into a poly household's life. Because, you know, honestly, though, it's really not that different than it is from uh, a monogamous lifestyle or someone living by themselves, because a lot of these issues are the same. It's just that the, the issues literally are then multiplied. And so it's something that... You know, I, I tell all of my clients all the time, you know, make sure you have proper estate planning documents. Make sure you have proper documents in place in regards to your health care, etc. It's even more so whenever you live the poly lifestyle because, um, of course, as everyone in the country, unless they've been living under a rock for the last month, knows, um, you know, marriage equality is now uh, federal law in the United States. Yay. Yay. Absolutely. And uh, so... What that means is now, if you're living a poly lifestyle, you can either marry your opposite gendered partner or you can marry a same gendered partner, gender according to the law. And so, you know, they say same sex. I, I've never really liked that term. I like gender. Let's be specific, shall we? That is now a possibility. But what happens when you have a third or a fourth or a fifth, et cetera, et cetera? Well, that is whenever you consult someone like me, <laughs> because you're now in the position where same-sex couples were not but a month and a half ago. And before I would offer, you know, the, the documents that it would take to make the same-sex uh, union legal, you know, civil union is what I would call it. And now, unfortunately, that is still what people who have more than one love partner, that's the only option that they have now because um, polymarriage is not 
uh, is not legal in the United States. Although I will say this, I'm seeing more and more articles popping up periodically now that same-sex marriage is legal, saying is multiple marriage the next iteration? And I say, I hope so. I've been saying for 10 years, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. You know, that it just makes sense. All us poly people out there are wondering where our rights got left off with civil rights being what they are. You know, we, we need some civil rights too. And, oh, absolutely. And so we're in a big closet. There's denial. Legal authorities don't want to open that door because it could get real ugly. You know, it's funny you should say that because um, my husband and I were actually speaking about this just well, a few weeks ago on Facebook with some friends of ours who they said, well, you know, everybody wants to talk about now that, you know, there's marriage equality amongst the genders, then they want marriage equality amongst, you know, uh, multiple partners. So how would that work? And, you know, they, they act as if it's such a, a huge deal and really it's not because as far as a religious marriage contract, that's between you and your higher power. So you handle that and someone like me is not even in that. However, if you have a marriage contract, uh, you know, the prenuptial agreements would still be the same. If you had a postnuptial agreement, it would still be the same. If you had uh, a divorce decree, heaven forbid, then it would still be the same. It would just involve more people, which of course means more legal fees. <laughs> but, you know, yay you. Me, uh, <laughs> it's like, woo, my business just multiplied. A little, a little morose, but it's true. <laughs> um, but you know, I've, it's, it's amazing. I've settled, oh gosh, about three or four, um, divorce cases that I've had in the last couple of weeks. And as I was sitting there writing the settlement agreements, I was sitting there thinking to myself, really, this wouldn't be that difficult because you would be able to take away the stigma of adultery out of it if it was all, you know, a consensual polymarriage. And then, you know, gosh, imagine the possibility for the children. You could have visitation with more than two parents. You could actually have the village concept of raising your kids, you know, provided that, you know, everybody was in agreement. Um, support issues like spousal support, child support, et cetera, would not be such a burden, you know, where it would be one party exclusively paying another party. There could be different individuals that would be, you know, contributing to the whole. I personally think it's a beautiful thing. And uh, we could always hope that that comes in the future. But, you know, we're we're sort of doing the, the optimism thing before we, we speak about the realism thing. And the realism thing is now, of course, um, in every city of the union, it's illegal. And you are guilty of bigamy if you marry more than one person without divorcing or having the uh, annulment from the other. And so you have to be careful with that. You know, since we were talking about, you know, you want to go into European laws of poly. Um, well, I only practice in the United States. <laughs> so um, I'd kind of like to, to kind of stay in our country for the moment. Although I could speculate on uh, British common law because that's what American law is based out of uh, or based off of. Um, but I, I tell people this all the time because, you know, I, I do speak at different conventions and different in different groups across the country. And so my Georgia bar card doesn't necessarily transfer. I have practiced in other states. I've practiced in uh, uh, Texas as well as Florida. But that was just on a case by case basis. I don't actually have a bar card there. But I will give you an example of where even marriage issues can get you in trouble as far as living a poly lifestyle. Um, if you live in Texas, there's very few states anymore. I think there's, gosh, 14 states um, that still recognize common law marriage. Georgia is not one of them. However, Texas is one of them. In Texas, you have to cohabitate with someone for a six-month period of time, and both people have to declare to two separate individuals apiece, so four people total, that you are living as husband and wife, and you have to present yourself as if you are married. If that is the case, then you are common law married. Now... That means that people that are shack up honeys, as, you know, Lawrence, Laura Schlesinger is liking to say, um, for six months, and this is how they present themselves, then boom, they're married. Now, when does common law marriage become an issue? Common law marriage becomes an issue whenever one of the parties wants to make it an issue, meaning people are together, they're together for a while, you know, they fulfill all the statutory requirements of a uh, of marriage, and they have a child. Well, then they break up and they're like, oh, well, who's going to support the child? Who's going to be the custodial parent or the primary custodial parent? What's visitation going to be like? Well, then they have to declare on the back end that they had a marriage and then 
you know, go through all the paperwork in order to get the divorce because it's as if it was any other divorce. And we're in, therein you can also establish visitation, custody, and child support. So that sounds fairly cut and dry in regards to one person. So all the paperwork's on the back end of that. Yes. There's no marriage license going in. That's correct. Um, in Texas, there's not, um, which is what I tell people all the time. You know, be careful if you're in Texas because this can happen. Well, goody, what happens if you live with two people and you present yourself, all of them, as spouses, especially now that same-sex marriage is legal? Say you've got a man and two women or a woman and two men or all three men or all three women, whatever the combination may be. And you say, this is my wife, this is my husband, whatever. And then you have children with both sets of people. Well, if you fulfill the statutory requirements with both people, what if you started cohabitating on the exact same day? You know, you decided, you know, we're going to make this a go. The three of us are going to move in together. So boom, on the exact same day, you start living together. And on the exact same day, you decide to separate. What then? Then it can get kind of messy because, and I actually would love to research this in Texas. I don't know if anyone has tried to declare a common law marriage after the fact. Whenever it comes to two people that were living together like that, if there, if poly marriage was allowed, then of course this wouldn't be an issue. However, say you are in a poly relationship, again, you're in Texas, and then the person who you married was not the person who you started living with first. So say I move in with gentleman number one, and then I move in with lady number two, but I marry lady number two. Then at the end, and everything gets really bitter and real nasty as it is want to do in divorces, then gentleman number one wants to declare me a bigamist because we were common law married whenever <laughs> I married lady number two. So that is whenever things get really, really sticky. And if you live in a state where common law marriage is allowed, and you can Google that very easily by, I believe it's common law marriage wiki is the last place I found it. Not that I usually take legal advice from wiki, but <laughs> they do have a propensity of keeping up fairly well with what laws are, uh, you know, or something as common as common law marriage is, you know, available or not in their state. Um, then, yeah, that's something that you have to think about. Because you could end up being in a polygamous situation illegally and not even realize it. And, of course, a lot of people don't think about this while it's going on. Oh, that'll never happen to us. We're going to stay together forever and ever and ever. Well, that's a lovely concept. But um, I would be broke <laughs> if that if that was actually how things happen. So it's something that one should consider. And then you also have the aspects of um, whenever it comes to family law, what happens if you are in a household where, for example, I married to my husband mm -hmm. and we take on a third. doesn't matter, you know, which gender. And at the end of it all, my husband and I say, hey, this isn't working. We're going to get a divorce. And uh, let's say it was, well, like I said, it doesn't matter if it's male or female. And I had had sexual relations with the third since I had had sexual relations with my husband. In Georgia, that would be a huge problem. Because in Georgia, that's considered adultery, even if there was consent. What is the adultery law? Uh, in Georgia? Yes. Okay. The, adul the, the adultery law in Georgia is uh, having sexual contact, especially intercourse, with any other person while you're legally married to another. Simply put. So if I am, like I said, I'm married to my husband, we have a third, I have sex with him, it's a problem. Now, if I have sex with my husband before the end of our divorce case and I do not have sex with my third again, then there is a defense in Georgia called condemnation and forgiveness. What that means is if my husband knew I had had sex with that other person, say our third, and consensual or not, whether he consented to me having sex with him or not, and then I have sex with him, then in the eyes of the law of the state of Georgia, he's forgiven me for what has happened and he has condoned it. Because, well, why would someone go and have sex with somebody if they didn't condone, you know, if there was an amount of, of condoning what had gone on? <laughs> that sounds so religious, Blue Law. Oh, it is, doesn't it? But you know what? I tell my clients all the time, um, have you had sex with your husband, wife, blah, blah, since you've had sex with your mister or mistress? Oh, well, no. Well, you might want to think about seducing them. <laughs> <laughs> because here's your defense. 
Wow. Or if I'm not so blunt, then I just lay it out there for them and go, okay, you know, leading the horse to water, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I have had uh, a, a case a long time ago where this gentleman was constantly sleeping around and he would constantly make sure he seduced his wife after that so that she could not ding him for adultery. <laughs> Lovely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. In the case of adultery, is it one party is calling foul on the other party and then they're going off to court about it? Or is it the state versus a person? No, no, no. It's always in, in Georgia, it's always in a divorce action. Um, there is laws in some states, and I believe Georgia still has this. It hasn't been um, struck from the books yet, although they were talking about it, where you can civilly sue someone for alienation of affection. Um, like, for instance, if my husband had an affair on me, um, not that he ever would ever, of course not, but say he had an affair on me and I found out who it was and it, it did cause the end of our marriage, I could sue the person with whom he had sexual relations um, civilly, provided that I could say, okay, our marriage was hunky-dory until he stuck his mm-hmm in her uh-huh and uh, <laughs> that was the end of our marriage. Um, if that's the case, then you can, again, in some jurisdictions, sue for alienation of affection. So again, poly relationship, everything starts out wonderful sunshine and roses, but then it goes bad quickly. And, um, yeah, you should be careful because even if they're, I mean, of course, whenever you, if, if my client was sued for alienation of affection and they were in a previous poly relationship, of course I would, you know, present the consent of defense. Um, depending on what county you're in in Georgia, more conservative or not, they might go for it. Um, but most of the, in most of the counties, they would not. Poly is a, a minefield out there. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Between, uh, religious thought, between old uh, blue laws that are on the records. Let's see. I, I believe in Georgia, you have a situation. If a third person moves in, in your residence, the, there's a cohabitation law. Well, yeah, that was going to be one of the areas that uh, that I was going to cover. That has to do with uh, the civil aspect because we've c- covered the family and criminal. Because of course, bigamy is 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 criminal, and depending on what jurisdiction you're in, you could serve anywhere from oh less than one to five years for being a bigamist. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we've touched upon the family law aspect of poly. We've touched upon the criminal law aspect in regards to the civil. Exactly what you were talking about uh, in Georgia. As a matter of fact, I just signed a lease um, that stated, okay, these three people are going to – I re-upped my lease in the home that I rent. Um, you know, these three people are allowed to live in this home. It's Sarah Overham, husband Overham, baby Overham. Okay, cool. Well, if we had someone move in who was in addition to our household – we would have to report that to our landlord. Now, it's none of we wouldn't have to report, you know, what their status would be, but we would have to report to the landlord that this person is now living there. Um, personally, I have never understood any sort of benefit that the landlord gets from this, other than if you have too many people living in a small enough space, it could end up being a health or fire hazard. But, of course, there are other people who I'm sure use it against people who are polyamorous in order to uh, break up what it is that they're doing. Because, you know, if we had a third or a fourth or another couple move in with us, um, we have enough space in our home more than. But the point is, is that we would have to report it to them. And if we did not report it to them, then that is grounds for eviction. That is actually a very common clause in the leases in the state of Georgia. So that's kind of a standard boilerplate. Pretty much, pretty much, because they want to know, um, you know, if you've got 15 people living in a one-bedroom apartment. Sounds like a party. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> a party that never ends, at least over the year of the lease. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's absolutely happened. Um, I have had a couple of people come to me that said that this is exactly what happened to them. They were legally married, and they had a one-bedroom apartment, and they moved in another adult. And, actually, if you read your uh, standard boilerplate contracts for a lot of leases in a lot of states, I know in Georgia and Texas they both have this, they have a maximum occupancy in regards to the number of adults adults that can live within a certain number of bedrooms and a certain number of square feet. The lease that I have is sort of a piecemeal of what the landlord sent me the very first time and what it is that I added and subtracted to it because God bless him, he trusts me. (laughs) Fox guarding the hen house. (laughs) 
right? You know, I didn't have that very that very specific clause in the lease, but in a standard apartment contract, absolutely. I've seen that all over the place where um, one bedroom, you're only allowed two adults and two children, I think it is, and a two-bedroom, four adults and four children um, under the age of 18 is what they consider children, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are a poly couple and then you have another poly couple with whom you're in a household, well, you better have at least a two-bedroom apartment and hope you don't have that many kids. Because even some places say four people total in a two-bedroom, that includes adults and children. So when our listeners are out there looking to sign a lease, if they think that um, having a poly household is on the horizon, they very much need to check the amount of occupancy that's allowed in the property that they're on. Absolutely. Interesting. Watching the TV show Sister Wives, <laughs> Cody Brown and family got, uh, <clears throat> I'll use the term, run out of Utah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, for for being uh, polygamous. Absolutely. Uh, and, and to the safe haven of Sin City, Las Vegas. Ironic. Yeah, it is ironic, isn't it? So the question would be, who is filing this? Is it, This sounds like the state is after him. In his particular instance, and I have read up on his case, the state was absolutely after him. This gets into the criminal aspect of my um, poly and the law discussion because um, – there is a statute that absolutely says in uh, in Utah that one is not allowed to have more than one spouse. And whenever he put it out there on television, um, you know, it's the funny thing about laws. There are some laws that are absolutely pursued whether the victim wants to pursue it or not. Those are usually violent crimes, um, crimes against the, the person, society, uh, the community, etc., I read that there were more than a few people who actually reported him. A lot of them were the traditional Orthodox Mormons, like they claim to be. Why? Because they're trying to get away from the stigma right. of being, you know, polygamous. Yeah. And yet here they are, you know, kicking the damn door off the hinges and, wa- hinges and walking right on out and saying, here we are. Yes, we do exist. And yes, we do this. And so a lot of people got PO'd at them, and they insisted on prosecution. Of course, the state had a very large interest in this because, again, they want to make sure that their state is not, you know, the safe haven for polygamists because, ooh, you know. Nice and clean and squeaky. (laughs) Yeah, right, the nice and clean squeaky. So I've been to Salt Lake City before, and I'll never forget whenever I went to a hotel bar and I went to take uh, have a drink, and and they have these these – shot glasses, inverted shot glasses, basically on the top of the liquor bottles that literally measure every ounce of liquor that is poured. And if the amount that you ring into the cash register does not match the amount poured, if there's not a perfect accounting, then after three incidences, the bartender told me they lose their job. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's really strict there. But you know what's funny? They have these private clubs there. Mm-hmm. I worked for a company that had a corporate membership, if you could imagine that. And so any of us that were in town could go and use us, and they'd let us in. And there was more Mormon women sitting at the buddy table looking for dates to go home with. Looking for buddies. Yeah. And and I was shocked because you hear how uprighteous and everything it is, and then you walk into this club, and it's like, you know, take your pick. Yeah, but people are people. Yeah, well, they, they are. But when you suppress it, then they counteract it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, people my, uh, you know, people are famous for saying, oh, well, I long for the good old days. I'm like, really? You want to see the good old days? Then how about you go check out some good old BDSM porn from the Victorian era? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you Everybody's go. Everybody's <laughs> been doing it. It's just that it's more widely broadcast now. Yay. Thank you, Twitter and Facebook <laughs> and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's always been done. That, that actually doesn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, and again, exactly what you said in Utah is the, the criminal aspect of uh, what it is that I like to talk about. Um, you know, and this leads, especially since you mentioned an employer, a bit of an awkward segue, but not much. Um, employment law. You know, people don't think about um, a lot of states are right-to-work states, meaning that, yes, you have a right to work, but the employers have the right to employ you, and they can fire you for whatever it is that they darn well please. You didn't yeah, part your hair do. straight, you know, boom. Yeah, yeah. and they do. And so if you're working for an employer that may not necessarily approve of your life choices, well, my advice to you is to keep your trap shut. 
Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you live in a right to work state, you know, people have on my radio show, we've talked about Phil Robertson and some many varied and sundry other people who have gotten fired or removed from an employment contract because of them saying something or doing something or wearing something and everybody's so outraged and the, and the theme is still the same. Um, you're not allowed to be just who, you know, you can be unique, little snowflake all you want to in your private life, but whenever you're paid by somebody else, if they have an image issue with you, then you're not going to be working for them for long. That's true. And there's so many right-to-work states now that there's very few safe havens. Yeah, Tennessee's one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I assume anywhere Georgia you is have too. Sort of, yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. Georgia is. And anywhere where you have a very uh, conservative uh, Republican. Uh, political place, <laughs> Okay, if you're going to call a spade a spade, <laughs> um, a very business friendly, especially um, political base in the in the state, then yeah, you're absolutely going to yeah. find it there. You will absolutely find it there. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I have a list. I have <laughs> keep my list in front of me. We've done family criminal, um, business law. Uh, business law is something that people do not think about whenever it comes to poly relationships, but it absolutely applies. If you go into business. If you start a business with your poly partners, what then? Well, the smart thing to do is to drop the contract as if it was, well, this, actually the, the contracts that I draw up so that people will have the equivalent of a marriage, a lot of them are business contracts. Um, but if you go into business uh, with a particular company and you're, you know, you're, you're starting it with your poly partners, then think about that if a breakup time ever comes. Um, make sure that you have yourself protected and your business protected so that if you need an exit strategy, then you absolutely can, which, you know, that's good advice no matter if you're dealing with, you know, one person, two people, or 20 people. Um, so it's a business partnership. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you have to, uh, you know, put the proper um, shelters in place so that if people do want to exit your your business and your your family, then that's something that can be done with minimal damage to the company. Um, other aspects of business, again, this is kind of like the employment law. If people know who and what it is that you are, then they have the right to not to do business with you. Um, you know, they, this is actually a, a show that I'm going to be doing on my radio show about the people who are refusing to make wedding cakes for same sex couples whenever they get married. Oh, well, that's wrong. Well, it depends on who you are to them. It's not wrong. Um, to those of us with a broader sense of the world, then absolutely it's wrong. And, and especially me as someone who loves money, um, yeah, it's really wrong because, <laughs> you know, their money is just as green as anyone else's. Um, but what people don't realize is that freedom of expression and uh, the right, you know, uh, and, and non-discriminatory discriminatory laws, whenever it comes to doing business with an individual, that's only if you are discriminating based on certain protected classes and private businesses have the right to serve who it is that they do and do not want to serve as long as it's not, you know, based under these very narrow uh, or in violation of these very narrow federal discriminatory laws. And as of right now, um, status of what sort of marriage that you have is not one of the protected classes. They absolutely have the right to serve. Just like, you know, you see signs all the time that says no shoes, no shirt, no service. Mm-hmm. Um, that's for the sake of health laws. Um, you know, if you get too drunk or too ornery, we will kick you out. Laws such as that. Um, there's nothing that says that, you know, that's the law and you absolutely have to kick out drunken ornery people. No, that's just one of the laws. So if you're having a poly wedding and you go to a cake baker and uh, you want to do business with them, you want to have a contract with them, and they refuse you, you're not a protected class. And so that is something else to consider. So even in business law, you can be affected whenever it comes to your poly relationship. And now for the biggie. So the two big ones, estate planning and health care, and I cannot stress this enough. I don't care if you are married. I don't care if you are single. I don't care if you're married to five people, two people, you know, your dog, your cat, whatever the case may be, which, of course, is not legal because that's the slippery slope. Bestiality will be next. <laughs> yeah, and how many times have we heard that? You absolutely need estate planning and health care planning in your life. Now, what does that mean? Estate planning. Oh, well, I don't have an estate. I just have an apartment that I rent and a car that has a car note. And I don't have anything in savings. No, no, no. 
although that's part of what I'm talking about, it's not the whole of what it is I'm talking about. Estate laws are different from state to state. Texas is dramatically different from Georgia, so I'm going to stick to Georgia because that's what I know the best. As an example, um, I'm married to my husband. I am a lawyer that knows how to write a will. Ask me if I have a will. No, of course I don't. <laughs> because yeah, because you're young and I, you don't need one. Oh, well, God bless you. Um, no, no. Actually, I've survived cancer one and a half times now. I'm, I'm currently undergoing cancer treatment right now. So I really, um, really, really would like to – this is actually something that has crossed my mind, especially now that I have a son. Wow, I really need to get these things in place. Sarah? Yes? You should have a will. Yeah, I really should. You know, I'm I'm the equivalent of a mechanic that never has a car that runs. That's uh, that's how I look at it. And a doctor with sick kids. Uh-huh. And a- oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I tell people this all the time. Although I'm a total hypocrite, and hopefully soon I won't be. Maybe that'll be my weekend project. Um, but the estate planning includes your will. Now, you might be surprised what people want to squabble over when you die. So if you have someone in your life that is important, whether, you know, if in Georgia, if it's your spouse, everything goes to your spouse. Um, if you have a child and no spouse, everything goes to your child. If you don't have a child or a spouse, then everything goes to your parents and then iterations of relations thereafter. So here's the scary part. Um, if you are married and you have a third, what happens then? Well, spouse gets everything. Hopefully everything, you know, is as right as rain between your spouse and your third. And so the spouse would share in what it is that your third got. But that is only left up to their good graces. What if they're grief stricken? What if the two of you are simultaneously in an accident and both of you are in a coma or both die simultaneously? Then the estate laws, depending on who dies first, say uh, husband and wife, um, husband dies first, everything legally goes to the wife. Well, they didn't have children and everything goes to the wife's parents. The poly partner is screwed and not in a good way in regards to getting anything from them. So whenever you are in a loving, committed relationship with someone, no matter if it's one someone or someone's, then it is vitally important that if you want them taken care of or to get anything specific that is in your home that belongs to you that you want to them to have, then you need to have a will that specifies that. Also, whenever, and this is something else to be aware of, say you do that, say you do everything right. You come to Sarah. Hey, Sarah, I want to do this estate plan thing. My husband, my wife, and my girlfriend, you know, this is what we want to do. Cool. Plan it all out. Well, then things don't work out down the road and the girlfriend is gone. Okay. Don't forget to change your will. Because your will is your will. See, here's the funny thing. If husband and wife divorce, then that will is automatically null and void, even as it comes to the third person. If the third person goes away, though, that does not automatically null and void the will. Interesting. Yeah. Wanted to make sure that I was clear with that because in my mind I can see it clearly because I do it every day. But I wanted to make sure I was clear to to everyone I was speaking to when I was speaking. So it goes back to legally divorce voids the paperwork, but That's when you're not even married technically by law, then mm-hmm. you don't have the paperwork that binds it all together. That's right. Think about it. You have two married couples who say that their spouse gets a share, and then the other two people get a share if they were to die. And then the people, you know, you stay with your spouse, but you break up with the other couple and years down the road you die. And then that will is produced. Guess who's getting their share? Because it was never changed. Mm -hmm. So if you get estate planning in the first place, make sure to keep it current. It's very, very important. Um, You know, the proper estate plan addresses everything, including final decision making healthcare decisions. And it can mean the difference between, you know, end of life decisions being easy for the people that you're with and not. Um, you know, ever since the Terry Shava case, people think, oh, well, whenever I get married, then one of the something or other hundred benefits of being married is that my spouse will be able to say what happens in my healthcare decisions. And no, that is not the case anymore. Federally, since the Terry Shavo case, that has not been, that, that, that has not been the law. 
Because if you'll remember in the Shavo case, um, she was married to a gentleman who wanted to pull the plug and the parents said no and said they knew better. And then the husband said, um, no, I'm her husband. I should know better. There was no estate plan back and forth, back and forth, went through the, to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and they decided that the parents had the right because allegedly they knew more. And the whole reasoning was she should have had an estate plan. Wow. Yeah, that really sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it absolutely does. So even my husband. Okay, get this. We got married, had the baby in the hospital. I had to put in my advanced directive for healthcare. That's what they call it in Georgia, which is the combination of a medical power of attorney and a living will. I had to tell my, I had to write out in my advanced directive. Um, my husband is allowed to make these decisions. My husband is allowed to be in the room when his son is born. If I had not specified that he had the right to be in there, then he was not going to be in there. Even though you were married? Absolutely. Wow. And although it was his son. Hmm. Because HIPAA regulations in the Terry Chavo case says that I have my rights to my body and my privacy, which is all well and good. that's true. You know, yeah, it's one of those double-edged sword things. You get the privacy that everybody's been wanting, but at the same time, people assume that they have coverage because they're married and they don't. Right. And that's why I'm saying, you know, even if you are single and you've got, a, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or even if you're not single and you've got a be- or even if you are single and you have no one special in your life in that role and you've got a best friend, or do you want your parents handling this? Because that's where the state will automatically default to if you're not married. Um, my parents, I personally wouldn't mind. Other people may not feel the same way about their parents. They may not hold the same views as far as end of life decisions are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I cannot stress enough how important estate planning is. You know, if you don't have an advanced directive for health care in the state in which you live, then get a living will and a power, a medical power of attorney. Um, the best, uh, the difference in the two is that a medical power of attorney is what lays out what you want to happen in the event that you have a feeding tube, a breathing tube, um, a hydration tube, et cetera, et cetera. How long do you want to be kept alive under certain circumstances and through what means? Um, so that's the living will. The medical power of attorney is the paper that gives the person the right to do all of these wishes that you have to carry them out. So the medical power of attorney, I could have uh, appointed Mabel, my next door neighbor, as that, and it would trump my parents' decision? Your parents and your spouse. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. That's why it's very important if you have a non-traditional household that the people that you want to designate to make those decisions are designated. You know, I've heard about it before. Man and woman are married. They have partners that's also a man and woman that's married. Uh, Certain people in the situation that wasn't necessarily the other spouse shared their same, you know, uh, religious and political points of view in regards to, um, and, and personal points of view in regards to how they wanted to be kept alive and how they didn't. So they gave that healthcare decision, power making authority to that person. Because they wanted the burden off of their spouse. You know, they didn't want their spouse to have to go, my God, pull the plug. You know, they wanted to give it to somebody who they knew not only would respect their decisions and actually do it, but it would also take the burden off of their spouse from having to do that. There, could, so, there could be ill will in there, um, you know, if, if this directed person does it and the spouse is just feeling really crappy about it. Well, and that's why whenever you do estate planning, especially whenever it comes to the healthcare decisions, um, it's very important that you sit down and discuss it with everyone that's involved. You know, we see a lot of things on television and the movies about, oh, well, I've gathered you here today for the reading of the will and you have no idea what you're getting. Um, that absolutely can happen, but that's really not the best thing to do. In my opinion, I mean, really, if you want to do it to to save feelings or whatever, fine. As far as your property is concerned, no, I do it for dramatics, right? But as far as your body is concerned and what may happen to you, you designating the right people and assuaging everybody's feelings and according to that designation can mean the difference between you laying in a vegetative, persistent vegetative state for years, and you actually having the relief in the release of crossing over. So that's really something to consider whenever you are making these plans. Yeah, you know, as far as your property is concerned, really it's none of anybody's business who's going to inherit what because that in and of itself can start drama. But mm-hmm. as far as your healthcare decisions, I think everybody that's significant in your life, in your immediate family, and when I say when I say immediate family, I mean spouses or partners and maybe your children. 
should know. You know, if you're that close to your parents, okay, you're that close to your aunt or cousin or best friend or whoever, okay, fine. But whoever is involved in that decision-making process, if the traditional people, as our society dictates right or wrong, that they should have power-making authority or or decision-making power and authority, then you absolutely should let them know what your plans are. You know, and it really shouldn't be something that, you know, you're five minutes going into surgery and you fill out your advanced directive. Um, God knows I've done that. I really have. But then again, I could write these things backwards and forwards no matter how many drugs I was on. Um, But a lot of people want to sit and sign it. You have to have witnesses to sign it. These witnesses have to be able to testify later on down the road if necessary that you were in your sound mind and not under the influence of stress, duress, drugs, etc. That you were, you know, you had a sound mind and you were in your right mind whenever you signed it. Mm. And so that's something else to consider as well. And in Georgia, I know if you are going to benefit from anyone's will, you cannot write it. If you're going to be one of the decision makers in someone's advanced directive for health care, which again is the medical power of attorney and the living will combined together, you cannot be a witness to the person's right state of mind. So there's all these little different pitfalls depending on your jurisdiction that you have to fulfill because even if you go through all this effort to make these estate planning documents and these healthcare planning documents and you don't have the correct person sign in the correct place under the correct circumstances, then it could all be for nothing. You know, people ask me all the time, well, I'll just go on legal zoom and I'll get a will and blah, blah, blah. And I always smile and said, if you have any questions, let me know. My rate is not that, you know, outlandish mm-hmm, <laughs> when it comes okay. to estate planning. And they look at me, like, oh, well, you know, you're just a lawyer and you just want to pad your wallet. No. No, we save people's lives. That's kind of what we do. Um, and I and we thought doctors them. did. Silly us. Right, right. Well, the doctors have a very, very specific role in that, and we're just the ones that make sure that everybody is comfortable before and after the procedure. There you go. Um, you know, it's it's a hard world out there, and it's difficult to navigate without – having at least some amount of legal knowledge. And I, I know a lot of my, you know, I was sitting talking to someone who was looking to get a divorce and uh, they told me the rate of some of the other attorneys they had gone to. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? And uh, they're like, no, 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 this is how much they charge. And I, I don't know. I guess I'm just into it more to, to help it than to pay my student loans and, and to, to help people than to pay my student loans. And I'm perfectly fine with that because I sleep like a baby at night. So let me ask you a question. So once you fill out these power of attorneys or uh, wills, or do you have to file them with the courthouse or anything? It depends on your jurisdiction. I have a friend of mine who's making his uh, state plan out in Texas right now. And I know I'm going to be one of the beneficiaries and in, in, in his will. And he's like, well, I want to file it with the court and send you a copy. I'm like, oh, is that necessary? Because I didn't think it was in Texas. He said, no, but it's always good to do that. In Georgia, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if you file a copy or not. The best thing you can do is to get them all filled out, notarized, etc. And I'm glad you brought this up. You yourself keep a copy. Mm -hmm. And especially, okay, you said will, power of attorney, all this. Um, As far as your actual will, you keep a copy. Your attorney keeps a copy. And that's all you need to do. If it comes to the healthcare documents... You keep a copy, your attorney keeps a copy, and then everyone else who's involved in the decision-making process, Mm -hmm. they need to have a copy because they need to – okay, for instance, I, you know, make my advanced directive. Um, I'm minding my own business, driving down the road, I get into a horrible car accident. If my husband doesn't know who my attorney is or my attorney's office is closed for the weekend, let's say this happens on a Saturday afternoon, you know, a lot of attorneys – absolutely refuse to answer phone calls on the weekend, then my husband being my healthcare decision maker needs to have a copy of my advanced directive himself so that he can take that to the hospital and say, I'm this woman's medical designee is what they're called here. And uh, here's a copy of her advanced directive of healthcare. Here's my ID. I'd like to know the status of my wife's condition because again, I have news for you. If he didn't have that, they would treat him just like any stranger off the street. They would not give him any information. Okay. Now, in this situation where you have a poly family, and mm-hmm. so let's say there's uh, two couples and they're knitted together in a poly family, and one of the person goes into the hospital, and um, let's say their spouse is out of town. So I can designate my wife and two other people as my decision maker? What they do is that they rank it. 
Okay. Uh, Okay. The answer is yes, but. Okay. So yes, you can, but you have to rank who has priority. So if it was your wife first, that's fine. If she's unavailable, who steps in next? If that person is unavailable, who steps in next? So not, you, you don't have like three different people trying to make a decision. There is an echelon. And you specify in Georgia, again, they you special, specify that echelon, say that fast five times, mm-hmm. um, in the particular document. Okay, that, that's important because, you know, there could be an argument, but with the echelon system there, it is going to say, you know, the higher person makes the rule that's available. Absolutely. Okay. That's absolutely correct. Well, that's good. You know, uh, you know, we travel, we, we're out of state, so, you know, we may be with another partner in a different state, and uh, something happens, you know, car wrecks happen, you know. Airplanes crash. Oh, absolutely. Anything can happen. You know, yeah. that's something – life is dangerous. You know, they pick on us in the BDSM community all the time about how, you know, oh, well, you know, everything that you do there is dangerous. Well, yeah, everything that we do there is or can be dangerous. But um, walking outside is not exactly, you know, sunshine and roses either. <laughs> Just go to a movie these days, you know. Right. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Driving a car. My gosh, right. driving a car can be just absolutely perilous. Um, taking a trip, you know, uh, you get beat up and mugged in an alleyway somewhere, you know. I mean, right. my gosh, there's just so many different things that can happen, which is why I tell people all the time, you know, they say, well, Sarah, you just sound so macabre and morose whenever you're talking about these subjects. And I said, let me tell you something. I can talk about the best case scenario all day long. But if life has taught me nothing else, being a breast cancer survivor and hopefully a future cervical cancer survivor, I'm working on that right now, is that, you know, you don't plan for the best. You plan for the worst and you just hope for the best mm-hmm. because if you are caught unawares, then that is absolutely the worst case. That, that you know, it's the worst thing that can happen. And uh, you don't want your loved ones, whether it be your parents or your children or your partners, um, spouses to be caught in a situation where they want to be with you. They want to see you. They want to help you. They want to comfort you. And they're absolutely not allowed to do that. Kind of heavy. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be tough. It's important information. And uh, I remember I went into the hospital for a procedure here a while back. And during check-in, they say, do you have a uh, living will and, and these questions? And, you know, of course, I answered like everyone else, no. Right. If I answered yes, I guess they'd ask for a copy of it then. Absolutely. Um, and all hospitals now have the boilerplate forms that if you are sober whenever you're able to, you know, whenever you're reading it, that you can fill out as well. So don't feel like this is something that you absolutely have to do before you get to the hospital, although I highly recommend it um, because sometimes it can be awkward getting witnesses and making decisions whenever you're under that kind of stress. Um And not to mention the fact, again, if you're not well-versed in regards to what those documents say in advance, that can be up to seven or eight pages that you're sitting there reading through, and you may not know what it means, and the doctor's knocking on your door, come on, we need to take you back for surgery. You know, I mean, if you're not an estate planning attorney, then just get it done ahead of time. It really is not that big of a deal. I I can draft one up. Of course, I can. Um, As long as I have the proper, you know, names and everything, I can draft one of those up in less than a half hour. I mean, seriously, it's not, it's not that, uh, an advanced directive, again, in Georgia. Um, It's really not that big of a deal. And my gosh, the headaches it can save. Sounds like it. So that was the big one. And, you know, there is so many things in just couples relationships. You know, a lot of the younger folks today do not marry. You know, they get together, they move in, they have kids, things like this, and they have no paperwork of rights between each other, even laying out who the child's father is, you know. It makes me want to take two volumes and get a heart specialist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All uh, the time. And they're like, oh, well, you're just pushing for traditional value. And no, you don't know me, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> but what I am pushing for is for you to have protection because then you're going to have to call somebody like me to come and save your tuckets whenever all of this comes falling down because you didn't do what it is you needed to do. You know, that's great advice for just mono couples out there. Absolutely. And then add the word poly to it and it just adds the complication. For someone who's not versed in it, I mean, you know, I I tout myself as the alternative lifestyle attorney in Georgia, as I am the only that I know of um, practicing licensed and active attorney in the state of Georgia that specifically caters to alternative lifestyles. You know, it's not so scary for me, but yeah, you take it to Mr. You know, mom and pop, whatever 
uh, uh, attorney somewhere, then yeah, it might be a daunting task, which is why I tell people to go to, and I'm not trying to, to pimp them by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a good resource. The Kinkaware Professionals List on the NCSF, National Coalition of Sexual Freedom website. I am a Kinkaware Professional on there. And at least if you go to somebody who has a little bit of a clue, then it won't be such a daunting task for them. Right. Well, great information. And I only have one last question before we say goodnight. And that is, why did Cody Brown go to Las Vegas? Is Nevada law allowing or are they just turning their head? Okay, here's the deal. It is my understanding that in Las Vegas, much like other other states, they do not allow bigamy. So if he tried to legal say he was married to the first wife, and I don't think they, they did break up. I believe her name was Mary, actually. So he married Mary. And then say the next one that came along was June or Janae. I don't remember. It's been a long time since. Janelle. Janelle. There we go. And say he tried to come. So he married Mary in Utah and he comes to Nevada and tried to marry Janelle. That's bigamy. They could prosecute him for that. Now, the difference between Utah and Nevada is that Nevada has no specific statutes on their books that says that polygamy is illegal, meaning like having more than one wife and living this lifestyle. And I know it sounds like a strange little slippery slope, but in Utah, you don't have to try to legally marry the second person. You just have to put out that they are your wife, much like common law marriage. Okay, so you have a statutory legal marriage, and then you try to act as if you have a common law marriage with a second, third, etc. person. That's what's illegal in Utah that is not illegal in Nevada. Mm-hmm. So as far as Nevada is concerned, he can go around saying that all the other four ladies are his wife all they want to as far as um, Nevada is concerned. Well, big freaking deal. You know, so what? You're not legally married except for to the first one, so we don't care. And they probably don't have a cohabitation either. Issue. Right. And in Utah, they care. Mm-hmm. Well, remember something. The cohabitation issue only applies whenever you're leasing. Now, I know there's – Oh, some I didn't states- realize that. Well, there are some so in Georgia that's the case. I know there are some states that are looking to say if you are cohabiting with multiple people and saying that they are your spouses, then that's out. Um, and I had heard that in some states it had actually passed. But as far as me being able to, I know in Georgia they don't have that. They they get around all of that from having to create a new law by going through the, the leasing statutes. And even if you own your own house, if you have too many people to where it would um, violate health codes and all this other stuff, then they would, you know, try to jack you up about that. Um, but in Nevada, Cody owns all of those houses. Mm-hmm. So as far as, you know, as far as Nevada is concerned, you've got a whole bunch of women living in a whole bunch of different houses and who it is that shares their bed that night is their business. So that's the difference between Nevada and Utah. So it's all cut and dried and we don't have to worry about it. Pretty much. Yeah. Interesting. All right, Sarah, it has been a privilege to have you on again. It was my pleasure. And it's so nice to meet Lee. Yeah, it was nice sitting here talking to you too. It was great. A lot of valuable information. She she was over there taking notes. So, oh, is that uh, what she was doing? Yeah. That you have this recorded. You can listen to it over and over now. Um, if I may say one more thing, um, for the audience, if you want to contact me, I'm, I am on Fat Life. I'm Attorney Lady Steele on Fat Life. And Steele is spelled with three E's, not all in a row. Um, and no dashes, no spaces, or anything like that. And if you want to contact me through my quote normal, what's normal, everyday website, it's, um, overhamlaw.com. That's A V as in Victor. R-A-H-A-M-L-A-W dot com, then I would be reach out to me. I'd love to hear from folks who listen to this. If you have any questions, feel free to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Sarah, thank you and have a wonderful evening. You have been listening to episode 150 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we hear from Susan Wright on Sex and Politics.